Welcome to the second season of Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. Sci-fi, fantasy, and horror have always used speculative elements to express political ideas. H.G. Wells wrote War of the Worlds as a reaction to British colonialism. Tolkien explored his feelings about World War I and industrialization in The Lord of the Rings. And Mary Shelley had a lot to say about gender and modernity in Frankenstein. Many speculative authors use fantastic creatures like mutants, fairies, werewolves, androids, vampires, and so on as allegories for oppressed people. Sometimes that can work. Sometimes it can be really effective and really interesting. But a lot of the time it falls flat in terms of storytelling and politics. Here to talk to us about this today is Ashley Adams. Tell us about yourself and thanks for coming on the show. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm going to be honest. I I thought maybe someday you'd ask me on be on the podcast, but I figured it'd be something more like top 10 sexiest plants in speculative fiction. <laughs> um, Audrey 2's got to be up there. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, you know, I'm a Vandermeer fan, so I was thinking, like, Ooh, the yeah. thing that's in the lighthouse. Uh, spoiler, spoiler. There's a thing in the lighthouse. Sorry. But yeah, my name is Ashley Adams. I guess a little bit about me is I'm a writer. I'm an editor. I've edited for a few journals, but right now I'm working on my own with some colleagues. Glamour Geyer. Um, I'm actually the nonfiction hybrid editor there. I've written poetry. My love, of course, is speculative fiction. That's what I always go back to. That's my like secret double life I led when I was getting my MFA. I also have a background in fisheries and wildlife. I don't think that's super useful. But if afterwards someone's like, hey, there's an aggressive swan outside my house. Can someone take care of it? Here's my plug. You know, if you want, <laughs> you want me to take care of that, I could, I could take care of that. Need a couple people for a swan. If you have a goose, I can do that on my own. But, you know, breed a party if you have a swan. So that's a little nice. bit about me. Nice. Speaking speaking of a naughty animal, hello, Harley. <laughs> yes. Hello. Well, thanks again for coming on. And let's talk about some of the reasons why using fantastical allegories as a symbolism for an oppressed population can kind of fall flat. And And in this case, what we're talking about is I guess an example might be that Quantic Dreams game, Detroit Become Human, where the robots are symbolic of oppressed people. And very, very, very clearly it draws heavily from the American civil rights movement in ways that are at best very, very cringe, extremely cringe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um so they're 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 not active anymore, unfortunately. But one of my I I used to watch Let's Plays. I don't really that much anymore. But there's Super Best Friends or Two Best Friends play. One of their last yes. ones was yeah Detroit Become Human, and then um and poor Wooly, Wooly is just yeah. Dying. I can still like I like <laughs> I think it'll be like one of those things I'll remember on my deathbed is like them reacting to so. Uh, in the game, there's a scene where, like, the androids are, like, getting on the bus and they have a whole section in the back of the bus that says androids only. And it's like, what are we doing? Right. And and I mean, that's not the only example. I'm going to try and, like, avoid naming names because I don't want to be accused of being mean and bullying and getting everybody mad and having a whole repeat of the squeak whore thing. <laughs> but I've definitely seen loads and loads and loads of sci-fi and fantasy in which... A magical race is very clearly meant to represent a certain demographic. I guess the X-Men movies, at least in the early 2000s, were very clearly going for an X-Men as gay thing. There's a line in, I think, the second one where a parent asks their son, like, have you tried not being a mutant? Which was very yeah. much at the time. Have you tried not being gay? <laughs> I, I know the, what is it, True Blood definitely used vampires as a metaphor, as like a queerness or an AIDS metaphor. Here's an example I think most, for better or worse, I think most of us are familiar with is Harry Potter and werewolfism is, I don't right. think anyone would be shot, like, spoilers, it's a, it's an AIDS, HIV metaphor that gets really weird because you have Lupin at first, and you're like, oh, okay, he's a nice guy, you should keep doing it. And you have, what the hell's that, the... The, basically the child predator character oh it's he's it's friendware grayback i was like i knew it was like a norse mythology name yeah that like turned lupin and he like specifically said to like get off on biting and turning people ah, um, it's not that's great not great no that's not good who would have like, thought that 
that author would have turned out to be terrible. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I guess I can pick on this one because they're a bestseller, award-winning. They're, they're a big fish. The Goblin Emperor, in which, uh, which is very clearly a story about magical Obama and the main character is half human, half goblin, which I guess means that black people are goblins. Um, I don't, I'm not sure about that analogy. It's a little, the fact that it's by a white woman makes it feel a little weird to me. I think the Goblin Emperor would have been better if it was like that meme that like, whoa, Obama, the room's flooding. And then it's just like, then perish. I don't know. I always think everything would be a little bit better if it was directly a, a shit post, I suppose. So, Right. Right. So like, there's a lot of these and, and, and I'm going to be nice and say, I think most of them are well-intentioned. I'm, I'm guessing that most of the time the author is not trying to be rude or stereotyping. And very often the author who writes this, a lot of the times they are a member of that community. A, a lot of the times they are members of that marginalized group. So I, I can't really like dunk on somebody for doing that or for saying that. But my my first issue with a lot of these one-to-one analogies where it's very clear, like, the mutants are gay people or the robots are black people, is that when you, when you really set it down and start thinking about it for longer than, like, a minute, you start picking up on, like, wait, there are some really fucked up implications here. Robots are a really common one. They're, I've seen, like, AI is another movie where... I've seen a lot of these sci-fi movies that promote robot tolerance as as a stand-in for some other oppressed group. And I mean, one of one of many problems with Detroit Become Human is okay. Let's think about this. Robots aren't human beings. They were invented by humans to serve humans. Humans invented robots and built them to serve humans. But like Europeans did not invent black people. You know, like there's this really, there's this really weird, if you're taking this analogy further, there's a very strange implication. We're talking about people who already existed and a story about a metal and silicon factory made object gaining individualism is really different from a story about a flesh and blood human being who's been dehumanized by a long campaign of brutal violence. The analogy is kind of weird and and not very good. I, I'm, I can't help but contrast that to another treatment of robots as oppressed, the movie Ex Machina, which obviously had tons to say about gender and I think about racism too, but it never forgot, like, these things aren't fucking human though. It's very right. clear that the way the rich guy treats them is, is fucked up, but in the end, we remember, oh, they're, they, she's not a human being. She is not a woman. She's not a person. She is doing something that a human being probably would not do. And it, and it's super fucked up. Yeah, I think part of the problem, too, is that, as you were saying, these these metaphors, honestly, it's something you've been talking about on the show, is that this, I think, simplicity of the morals and the behavior of oppression, I think a lot of people are only able to look at it and be like, and I mean, that's a story. We have an easy good guy and a bad guy. And so I think a lot of people will see like, oh, oppression is bad because it's happening to an obvious good guy, which is just then like, no, these oppressions, these prejudices are bad. It's not necessarily because the other party is innately good. It's just, I think like, it's just so easy with the way the morals are doing it. And it feels weird, especially when you have, it's an elf, you know, or something like that. It feels even more. I also think with this stuff, what I see is, it's such like a, uh, I think we might talk about this later, uh, such a one-to-one for, it feels right. like they've invented this new bigotry. It's like nothing ever existed except we hated orcs or whatever. And then it gets really weird when you have the way people also technical, like if there's other marginalized people. That's where I noticed, especially I used to kind of be more into young adult novels and that kind of circle. And I see a lot of problems happen where somebody is like, they're really focused on one oppression in their one fantasy world thing. And then they kind of stumble into, I would say, a more problematic thing where they're like, oh, I'm really going to focus on, say, this queer representation. And I'm really focusing on that. And then they're like, but they don't think about the other things. Like you get a lot of girl boss, weird stereotypes. I'm probably not explaining this very well. But yeah, I think just not considering the messiness and intersections of different identities together. And then you put right. it next to an elf. It seems even sillier. Yeah. 
the analogy starts to like fall flat when you really think about it. And then there are these just unfortunate implications. It almost kind of feels like stereotyping in a lot of the ways. Like what was that movie? Bright with Will Smith. I mean, the orc. <laughs> yeah. It's like an orc cop. But it's very clear that the orc is, I guess, supposed, or at least it, it feels like the orc is supposed to also be a metaphor for contemporary racism and, and like blackness or Latino or something, which gives it a really weird, uncomfortable implication here. Where it's like, well, why is he becoming a cop? What <laughs> he why why did he cut his horns off? Like that he's got to be you're you're asking someone to cut off their horns to be accepted. That's not that's this isn't a positive thing. You get that? Or or there's that movie Zootopia. I saw a a deleted scene about it that that's kind of horrifying. Like okay, so. Zootopia and Zootopia, it's it's like one of those anthropomorphic animal movies and there's herbivores and carnivores and like carnivore animals in order to live peacefully in society where col collars that sort of suppress their desire to hunt and kill other animals. And there's this one deleted scene where it shows like a coming of age ceremony in which I think it's a bear, a young bear puts on his collar for the first time. And the ceremony is designed to me to bring to mind like a bar mitzvah. Oh my god! Which brings like a really fucked up implication. Or what? Like, did did you really have to? Uh, yeah, you know, I, it brings to mind a lot yeah. of stereotypes about Jewish people <laughs> that are that are not great. Some secret like QAnon staff on there. Some weird like. Like I don't think they, I, I don't think they meant yeah, that, but it's like I don't it's think hard so. For all we know, like for all I know, maybe the animators or the person who wrote it might have been Jewish and might have thought it was kind of funny. You know, yeah, it's the implication is is weird. I never saw that deleted scene. the The text you have is already kind of confused as it is. It also ends up with everyone being a cop at the end. That's somehow always the way things go, isn't that? Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I also notice, and sometimes in these stories, uh, I mean, you have X Men with Magneto, and then uh, I'm just spoiling everything today. So, spoilers for Zootopia, a movie that came out like ten years ago or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the reveal at the end is that like it's like a sheep that's the bad guy, and there's like this always this weird twist. I've seen in, I've seen it in a few a few of these stories where it's actually one of the op uh, oppressed parties is actually the bad guy the whole time, which reads really weird too. Um, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah, it just starts reading weird. And these are metaphors that would be okay for a political cartoon or a short work <laughs> or something for kids. But when you turn this thing into like a full novel and you market it toward adults, you're sort of asking for it to be taken a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it gets really really weird and fucked up and it starts feeling like you're engaging in some ugly stereotypes and uh with that i i think we'd i'd like to take a moment to talk about house on the cerulean sea you read this i did not i thank you for your service uh subjecting <laughs> yourself to this book for for our content and the way you described it to me in a previous episode we read uh, spin rand's book the iron dream which was this really, really brilliant novel from the 70s that the premise was, what if Hitler wrote a sci-fi novel? And it and it's basically his like Gary Stu self-insert fanfic novel that that retells the Third Reich because the, the book itself is like a critique of fascistic implications of contemporary at the time adventure fantasy and sci-fi stories. And I've we were talking about that in that episode and we were thinking like, okay, what would be the contemporary version of it? What would be like today's version of it, of this story that presents itself as fun in, in, in terms of the standards of what's popular at the time, but underneath has horrifying implications. And based on the way you've described it, it sounds like House on the Cerulean Sea would be the modern day spiritual successor to the Iron Dream. So tell me about this book. Oh boy, this book. First off, I, I I like to do a thing where, I'll be honest, I did not go into this book maybe with the most generous mindset, someone specifically. Uh, a friend actually recommended, like, she was like, I read this book, I thought there was potential, it wasn't so good, and I was like, oh, let me take a read it, and if someone reads something, and they want someone to discuss it with, I'm very into that, so um, even if it's something I know, I necessarily won't be super excited about. So I was kind of interested to see 
and then I cracked this book and it is oh boy it is it is a doozy so I guess first off kind of what it's about is so it follows the main character actually I have the Goodreads page pulled up because it's been a minute and I haven't I don't necessarily um, it has been a while since I've read it so bear in mind if I've forgotten some stuff please be generous yell at Raquel online not at me <laughs> no, don't, don't yell at Raquel she's got enough yelling at so basically it follows this main character also well I guess we'll get into what the problematic aspect about it is and also like always baffles me so the main character is Linus Baker he's like a, a middle-aged hello cats Hi, <laughs> I, I, I called it. I'm like, the cats would be talking aggressively during this section somehow. He loves it. He loves this book. He's like, don't you trash this book. <laughs> oh, I guess uh, the cats are on uh, book talk. Yeah, so this book is very popular <laughs> on book talk. So you might get like yelled at again for this. Um, come, book talk is coming for us. A bunch of teens are going to dance angrily about me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's about this character named Linus Baker. And he's kind of just like this sad middle-aged flop whatever and he's a caseworker he's a social worker at the department in charge of magical youth let me tell you this book does a thing that i personally find very annoying which is like things capitalized um Uh, that kind of thing where it's like um yeah when i'm looking at the good reason when linus is unexpectedly summoned by extremely upper management and extremely upper management is capitalized um Uh, don't don't you whoever wrote this owes terry pratchett an apology i'm sorry it has it has those vibes basically this guy is a social worker for orphaned and abandoned magical children and this is pretty widely done so basically he gets called to go to a um especially dangerous orphanage which is on an island I'm always a little annoyed by the title. I guess it's fine because it's an island, the house in the Cerulean Sea, but I always want to be like the house on the Cerulean Sea. Who allowed these prepositions to get in here? That's what we'll get canceled for is like not the content, but like being like yeah. you're a bigot about prepositions. You're you're a prescriptivist about prepositions. It's unfair. It's bad. I, I, I'm a poet. Yeah, duh. Um, <laughs> so he goes to this island and there's all these wacky kids Um. And specifically, he's meant to... The, one of the children is the Antichrist, like the actual Antichrist, like I'm the son of Satan, I'm going oh. to bring about the end of the world, yeah. And so he's supposed to go there and kind of observe, and while he's there, the caretaker, whose name is Arthur, they have some really ho-punk-ass comfort, comfort core gazes at each other. Um, there's now, some this is like a book for adults, right? Cause I, I've heard it described as like, this book is super gay. It's like being wrapped in a big gay blanket. It's gay, gay, gay. Like, and it's for grownups. I understand. It's, it's interesting. Cause it's tagged a lot. I'm on Goodreads, which is the most rigorous community of examination. Oh, of um, course. It is tagged a lot as young adult and it reads, and I think it can appeal to the audience. I mean, like I said, it, it sells itself really on being popular on book talk, but the main characters are adults. So I, I'd say it's, it, it's if it's not written specifically for adults, it has that crossover appeal. I would not say it was specifically written as a young adult book. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's just very wholesome and cozy. And then like, it basically but they finds ain't a, fucking. No, oh God, no. I think Ooh. they like have one kiss. <laughs> um, and then basically he's at the island. He falls in love and he finds out the people on the mainland are mean to these kids. And then the climax is basically the townsfolk want to like, I, I don't know. They just vaguely threaten. They're on like the dock being like, we're going to do something. There's, this book has a lot of violence is implied, but never actually explained. Mm-hmm. It's very weird to me. And then basically it ends with a couple, like the mayor who get won over by the, the charmingness of the children. God, I could talk so much about this book and how it fails. They make the bad guys, the racists feel bad. It makes them. Yeah, that that's how it works. So also, there is also this implied, like I said, the main character, Linus, is expecting the island. He basically finds out that, like, the did you know that this organization that clearly is modeled off of, like, the twiest answer to 1984? I got, I know, I know it's maybe not the most popular leftist opinion, but I actually like 1984. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> I say I like 1984. I think no one should ever talk about it again because nobody can be trusted, like, how to approach right. it responsibly. Right. It's funny because in the whole book, the book like talks about how great Linus is and how smart and awesome it is. But it's clearly like everywhere he goes, all the people that work with the children that are like good caretakers are like, please don't report to your bosses that anything's bad here. 
And he's like, well, why not? And they're like, like, you don't know. And they're like, and no one tells him. So the whole time I'm reading the book, I'm like, do these kids get turned into dog food? What's going on? It turns out they just get, they get sent to a school or something like that. They get further institutionalized, I guess, which is weird because they're already in an orphanage. I would argue they're already huh. kind of as institutionalized as possible. And so it ends yeah, with separated him. from their families. Yes. So I'm I'm going for the explanation to get to the point of why this book is, I think, problematic, we'll say. And it ends with Linus, the main character, overthrowing the main bosses. And then he goes back and is goes and has his found family with the people, because of course it's found family. Of course um, it's found family. The reason that this book you may already I think even just reading the book without this background context, you will see it's very weird this way it focuses on the comfort and the kind of character growth of this main character and his love interest and not the fact these children are institutionalized and separated. It even talks about like there's a wyvern character and they're like an endangered species and there's this other child that's like a blob. It's literally he's just an identity. They call him an unidentified green blob. He has no history. So there's this whole thing about child separation and being institutionalized and you know what does that mean and it it never really focuses on that. It's kind of like this kind of background thing, which feels very weird. Right. Um, and then sh- should I reveal what this is yeah, inspired yeah, yeah. by? Reveal this it. Book? Yeah. So as I was reading this book, I felt really uncomfortable with it. And like, this feels, and obviously I'm an American. We have that family separation is still ongoing. We have our own terrible history with how we treat different groups of children. So I'm going to pull up straight from these, this interview that T.J. Clune, who's the author, this was published on Scalzi's blog. I believe he interviews different authors and kind of gives them a chance to talk about it. So, and when I listened to it, this book, I was like, oh, it's kind of twee and whatever. And then I read this. When I found this out, I was mad. I was like pacing around the room like a tiger in a too small cage. That's like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm going to read a few paragraphs. And then I think we're going to link to it. So if people want to see it yeah. in text. Um, it helped maddeningly so that I could already hear also... Sorry to get distracted. This book has a weird British affect, and this author is American. I don't really get what's going oh, on. Oh, he's a Tiaboo. Yeah, there's like a he's real- He's trying to do Harry Potter for I adults. I think we really wanted to say arse and bloody, I think was the thing, which which and I just realized arse and bloody. I'm like, oh, that's a bad combo. Um, um, <laughs> I, can, I do not get the impulse. I'm sorry. It helped maddeningly so that I could already hear the main character's voice in my head, a fussy fellow named Linus, who was a stickler for the rules. He could- be a caseworker in an Orwellian world where the government sees all, knows all, and controls everything. Linus will work for said government with the bureaucratically gloomy name of the Department of Charge of Magical Youth, D-C-I-O-M-Y. A drone who did as he was told because it was expected of him, and he'd be queer, because that's what I write, queer people from all walks of life. The pieces were there, but the picture was still fuzzy. So, here's where it gets, gets, um, gets bad. It remained fuzzy until I stumbled across the 60s scoop. So he explains it here. Something I'd never heard of before, something I'd never been taught of in school. I'm an American, by the way. In Canada, beginning in the 1950s, I'd argue earlier, continuing through the 1980s, indigenous children were taken from their homes and families placed in the government-sanctioned facilities, such as residential schools. The goal was for primarily white middle-class families across Canada, the U.S., and even Europe to adopt these children. It's estimated over 20,000 indigenous children were taken, and it wasn't until 2017 that the families of those affected receive a financial settlement, with the Canadian government totaling over $800 million. I believe this is older, but I believe that's still not happening, but I'm not an expert on that. I researched more and discovered instances that the world over in my own country and abroad of the same thing happening, families being separated because they were different, because of the color of the skin, because of their faith, because those in power were scared of them. I wrote the house in the Cerulean Sea in spring of 2018, months later. In the summer, news exploded from our southern border about families searching for a better life, being separated and put into government sanctioned facilities. There's a couple more paragraphs here. History as it does with terrifying consistency was repeating itself once again. Let me be upfront about something. I'm a white dude. There really isn't much I should be preaching about. I'm queer and allowed one at that, but the marginalization I face because of this isn't to be compared to others facing bigotry. It's not a contest. It sucks across the board, but I'm a mid-30s cis man in America. I'm privileged in ways others are not. I noticed, so when I wrote Cerulean, I know I had to do so carefully to make sure that I decided on what I decided on to be the central theme of the story wouldn't be lost. That central theme, can you guess what the central theme is? Is it found family? 
pretty damn close. It's kindness. Okay. <laughs> and I'll okay. stop there. Yeah. So um, okay. he's the nice concentration camp guard. It's cool. And this it's was fine. It's just in, it was it's infuriating fine. to me to take. Yeah. I don't think it's careful enough when you take what is a campaign of genocide in which it he glosses over it, understandably, but these kids weren't just separated from their parents. The, the kids at these schools were like beaten if they horribly abused, underfed, raped. A whole lot of them died. Every other week, it seems like there's a new story in the news from Canada about somebody digging up the foundation of one of these places and finding a mass child grave. So yeah. to like take that, this really horrific thing as fodder for like a cutesy feel good story is that's really fucked up. That's really, really, I think, disrespectful to the to the people who are victimized by this horrible campaign. I and the fact that he portrays these kids as magical beasts, including what is a demon, takes on some really disturbing implications. I mean, think about the thing that white Christians said about indigenous people and indigenous culture and indigenous religion, that it's demonic, that it's of the devil and you need to wipe it out. Yeah. That's it's... really, really disturbing to me and just really ugly. And it bothers me that it got this far that that people are like broadcasting this as this if it's this fluffy cute thing when it's about i don't care if you're the nice german at the concentration camp you're still unless you are shutting down the concentration camp you're part of the fucking problem i don't care if you found family it's not found family if you stole the children from their actual families yeah and it should be noted <sighs> that i think the concepts may be a little dead on arrival but I think if in in a different hands, it could at least be asking, I think it could interrogate the fact the main character is so apathetic to what's going on around them and how wrong that was. Um, oh, yeah, it, it could be great if, if yeah. done a little better and, and like or, going into the darkness a little bit, having a little more edge and maybe portraying the magical children as like actual human beings and not yeah, you know, and, demon monsters and blood. Yeah. So <sighs> and it's important to note some other things, too. The love interest for Linus, the, the caretaker, is also, spoiler, spoiler, a magical creature. He's a phoenix and it does a bunch of phoenix metaphors, which like... But whatever. Well, I mean, uh, it's fine. No, no colonizer has ever fantasized about fucking the people they colonize. That sure doesn't happen. White people definitely do not fetishize the people they're oppressing in in weird ways. Definitely there's no not. like interrogation of what it would mean for someone that was like. And this this character, it's probably one of the more. This book is also very twee with the way it describes what happens to people. Like I think one character, which weird enough, there's only one human child or human child. We'll say besides the Antichrist, it is a were Pomeranian. He's also the only. I think I'm not sure. There might be some others. So feel free again. To Correct me, I guess, but um, he's the he's a black child, and so like and he's an animal. That's cool. Yeah, it's there's and no he, like, implications specifically there. like is in there because he did he bit somebody, but also okay. it's described the abuse to him because it said he was one that survived a lot of abuse in other systems, and then the abuse like I'm not saying I never want to say like I want to see the spectacle. I think that would be gross and disgusting, but it's very weird. Like he was slapped once, and I was like, well, in these schools. Not to say that isn't, you should not slap a child. Let it be known that Ashley said, do not slap a child. But it's weird to hear the way the violence is so like neutered and just really softened. And it's like, what happened at these schools is literally the worst thing that could happen to a human being. And it is, it, yeah, car that trauma the, carries on for generations. That and, it's pyramids of infant skulls buried in the foundations of these, of these places. It's not just a kid got slapped. Like, yeah, it's, it's fucking horrible. Yeah, and it's just, and there's no, there's never any point everyone considers, especially when you talk about, like, they're talking about, well, there's species in this, but like, a people, like peoples that are, they're, they're dying off, they're losing their connection to literally each other, but it's obviously a metaphor for indigenous people and their culture. There's never this question about, it's always about keeping them safe in this dominant society and never like, how do we reintegrate, is there any reconnection or reintegration that never even comes up in this conversation. Um, like, does he ever figure like, hey, you know, maybe, what if I try and find their families? Maybe no. they got like an auntie or an uncle or something. No, it's never even thought about. And it's always like, well, we don't know where they're like they are. Blah, blah, blah. Well, we're a found family now. We're going to 
you know, we're going to drink some tea and have a fun adventure in our yard or, or whatever. Also, not to, not to interrogate this author too much, but this happened in America. And how do you not, and also like, how do you not know? It might just be this interview, but I'm kind of like, how do you not know about all this stuff? It happened and I'm sure it happened in other places. It happened in Canada. It happened in America. It also happened in Australia. Australia. There was that whole generation that was stolen from their their parents. This, This is not particularly new information. Um, it's um, recent. This is living memory. It's not yes. that long ago. Yes. It, the last residential school, I believed, was closed, I want to say the 90s. Again, I'm... I'm Jesus. Not, yeah, this was incredibly, incredibly recent. And there's still these apparatuses of... In America, there had been some protections, quote unquote, about separating children from their tribes and their nations. And Canada, I don't believe that is that there is... A, that same thing so there's still people like social services taking kids for the smallest reasons manufacturing things it's still very very and being placed with non-indigenous families is still very common in canada these apparatuses still very much exist and this book like do you see every once in a while someone bring up it's wild the things i see people get called out for and again i can see some concepts get i'll be like that's tackier that's not good execution but this is such just an appropriation of this genocide like this and every once in a while you see an article be like oh you shouldn't read this book blah 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 but it's so it's it gets very, buried it's this like i said this book is incredibly popular on book talk it is blurbed up the ass by big names on the cover is literally let me see i'll try to pull up uh oh no it's trying to get me to sign the goodreads but it's i think ve schwab i'm not sure if i'm saying her last name right um mm. saying it's basically like this book is a gay warm blanket a- Gay, warm, smallpox blanket. It's just, it's just so incredibly, I know sometimes with blurbs, sometimes they're not even reading the book. It's just like, ah, yeah, blurb it. Right. It's still like, what are we doing, people? We we have so much better. Like, it's so really, much. You don't need this yeah. book. You, you, you have stuff. You have stuff by indigenous queer people you could fucking go read. So that might also be a good thing to link to is I know us in our discord we've been we actually talked about this in like the reading list that were there i meant to do some more reading before this but i didn't get time so maybe we could post a link to like books that actually are by people that survived this i think that would be good if people are interested and want to learn more about this it strikes me that there i've seen so many other authors canceled for so much less than this for the most like dogpiled and harassed and insulted and shut down and held accountable quote unquote for really minor shit taken out of context so to see mm-hmm. this book rocket at the top and and be just held up as as the, here's this good wholesome thing feels really weird and fucked up why is this okay when wrath goddess sing gets gets called out because the author portrays the ancient greeks as practicing slavery which the ancient greeks did in fact practice slavery i I, I can't help but wonder, is this the author of this book kind of in the inner click is the only thing I can see of? Because I could see an ambitious author to to try and make a name for themselves. You know, it's like in prison, your first day, you try you fight somebody else. Oh, your first day on book Twitter, you cancel somebody else. You know, like make a name <laughs> for himself by like calling out this guy and holding him accountable and then talking about what a bad I hope I'm using the right pronoun talking what a bad person this author is and how immoral this book is and it's weird that it doesn't happen with that hasn't happened with this and I can't help but wonder if it's just well you won't really get clout for it because this guy's friends with the big names well I was like who published this I think I know who published this it's it's Tor it's torn. Oh, of course. It. So yeah. He's you don't not- speak against the family. <laughs> right, right. I can't say I know much about this author. I, I don't think he's terribly online, which is, I think, a good move always to take. Honestly, I was like, a smart mm-hmm. move. I think he does have some online presence, but I don't think he's online, you know, like fighting the good fight or something like that. He's also Lambda. He's won the award Lambda. So he's he's been part of, I think, the apparatus, the publishing apparatus and stuff like that in the community. Right. I, I can't say I know much more. I also do know he got in trouble because he wrote, I think, a young adult book. And 
it was about like superheroes versus normal people. And then there was this part where one of the characters' dads, it's a young adult book, I believe, is a cop and went off and hit somebody. And it was like portrayed as justified. <laughs> and then he, TJ Clue had released this whole statement being like, oopsie doopsie, I made a foxy woxy and stuff like that. So again, I don't, wow. I, I, I want to say, I do not think TJ Clue is like, evil or no i think i don't he, think he i don't think he's rubbing his hands together no i think he i love it when children are stolen from their parents i think I, it's just a real cluelessness and yeah and i think he, somebody should have spoken to him about this and instead they just held him not, about not, atop their shoulders and talked about how cool he is again that idea of intersectionality i think sometimes online it can be turned into oppression olympics like who has the most points but i think here's a good example example where we think internet intersectionality and i've seen with some books where i think that queer focus that i want to give queer people a good representation a good story but you don't think about like again you're taking this thing which also did affect obviously queer people right but like you're not thinking of that like aspect as well and the care is not evenly uh, distributed and this isn't the first time I've seen something like this and happen I just think that that comfort and coziness maybe for your marginalization and like kind right. of like oh, the other ones that's fine <laughs> maybe you should try cognizing your way out um, the which fact I think that he admitted that is kind of weird like I would think that he would have an agent or a publicist saying yeah don't mention this in interviews TJ he, he clearly doesn't even think it's a he, he, and he like does the like well I'm just a white guy so I don't know but I'm still gonna try to do it and sometimes yeah. I think sometimes the moral of this is if you confess your sin of being a white male then you can do the most fucked up shit I guess if you just Some... performatively self-flate sometimes I see people be like how can I make this thing not problematic and I'm like I don't think there's a way to do that. You either need to wrangle with that or not do it. You need to say, is this outside your ability to wrangle? And maybe right. this one is. But I think this is a good segue into one of the points you were talking. The fact that, like, again, what one of the things that's upsetting about this is that we're supposed to... One of these children is the Antichrist, and literally they're like, we have to control this child because he will start Armageddon. I personally... <laughs> oh my god, the cats. I there personally... Harley, chill. You have no chill, buddy. I personally, I and I guess I guess your cats agree. Um, I'm not a fan of Armageddon. I'm not. Yeah. And we're supposed to be like the problem is is they're not kind enough to Antichrist again because we're specifically talking about this is a metaphor for Indigenous people. That's very very um, not good because Indigenous people were very much part of the residential schools. A lot of that was part of a religious apparatus. A lot of those schools were Catholic. They might oh, have yeah. all. They might have all been Catholic. I don't know. A lot of them were. A majority yeah, of them. The, it's, religion was a huge part of it. It was, it was crushing their cultures and exactly. forcing Christianity onto them. Yeah, there's this the saying, I'm going to kind of tweak it basically to save the child. You kill the indigenous person. I've tweaked it because the original one is, I don't like saying it. But yeah, that cultural genocide. So yeah, I think one of our points was that like, this doesn't work because when you have, say, X-Men or the Antichrist... And it's like, it doesn't work because, sorry, gays don't have, not yet, I'm still hoping, I'm praying, every day <laughs> I wake up and try to think thoughts that I will wake up and be able to control the weather. Trust me, I live in Florida. You think if I could control the weather, I fucking wouldn't do it? Jesus Christ. Yeah. That it doesn't work because, again, a lot of these people have magic and superpowers or can start the Antichrist. Or the, the, right. an antichrist. That doesn't work very well. There's kind of a reason to be afraid of them. Yes, that that is problem number two with the sort of magical oppressed allegory is I would 100% support a mutant registry in the X-Men. I would 100% support it. Why the fuck wouldn't I? If a guy can shoot lasers from his eyes, I want to know where the fuck he is. He's scary. I mean, I like that's super dangerous for real. Gay people generally can't shoot lasers from their eyes. There are legitimate reasons to be afraid of someone who can do these things. We make people get gun licenses and shit, at least in, in the North. I don't know what the fuck they're doing in the South right now. You have to like register deadly weapons and, you know, you got to register this shit. These are reasonable precautions for, for dangerous objects that can kill people so this idea of like oh why are you scared of me just because i can control fire with my mind well you just answered your own question buddy yeah and it's not that you couldn't like still i think explore these aspects but you have to like again i think a lot of these problems are because most books and most writers are pretty mediocre and it's hard to finagle those like really complex ideas i've heard really good things about the current x-men run which is really like the x-men established like an ethno state and stuff like that and it actually like examines like those 
I think, trickier aspects than those questions. I would not support a mutant registry, mostly because I think Magneto is right. I love Magneto, so, you know, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> but yeah, the idea is like... These if I people... was a mutant, I would be on Team Magneto. If I Absolutely. was a human, I would not. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true, yeah. it's Because I don't, I don't want to be murdered by Magneto. I do not want him to take the iron out of my blood from the supplements that I take to avoid anemia and kill me with them. <laughs> uh, I don't I want s- it. See, I would simply not have that happen to me. I would simply walk away. But I built, <laughs> I built different. <laughs> Clearly, I am built different. So I'm like, I'm not taking any. Guess what? Guess what, Magneto? I got no iron in my blood whatsoever. Uh, I have severe anemia. I'm immune. I just got to sit down right now. I just really got to sit down. When you do like critical reading and critical thinking and when you actually do you know i think we've tumblerized actual theory and critique is that it's supposed to have nuance it's supposed to not necessarily be a bad or good thing just looking at these contradictions what does it mean what can we learn from it so that's kind of how i approach like stuff like x-men is oh there's some interesting contradictions what can we learn from it not that you should throw it out i mean the house of cerulean sea i'm kind of like you could throw it out it's also yeah it's also got a lot of, I didn't get into it because it's not the theme, but it's got a lot of craft issues too. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. That is a place where the analogy falls flat. But there's also something oddly like Ayn Randian about the idea of oppressed wizards or oppressed superheroes. These inferior normies are keeping you down because they're jealous of how much better than them you are. And one day you will rise up and crush them like John Galt. A big feature of fascism is you believe that the enemy is simultaneously all power and dominant, but also hilariously weak. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings that to mind. There's something very, very odd about that to me that that doesn't feel like it really fits the experience of oppression. And I can understand why a person might have, like an oppressed person might have this power fantasy because it feels good it feels cathartic to think man i sure wish i could i i could shoot lasers from my eyes and and kill homophobia or whatever that would be pretty cool but as a serious political analogy it kind of farts out <laughs> i think it's like also a political analogy kind of the flip side is that so many of these books like house of Trilogy are like we can solve it with kindness and just use your words and there are many ways to do revolution you know but i'm thinking of like the civil rights movement was Nonviolent. Although the state, I feel like, interprets any sort of disruption to its functioning as inherently violent. Eh, it's not, but it's disruptive. And these books are not disruptive. Nobody, there's never thinking of what people did for the the children that were trying to cross the border and being deported, and the families that were being deported. I mean, there's obviously I can't remember his name. The person that actually attacked yeah, that one anarchist yeah and but there was people like i said okay you don't want to do that thing you got to publish a book at tour i get it okay cool but people chain themselves to like things they they lie in the road they put their lives at risk this disruption is, and they get destroyed by the state they get jailed they get beaten by the cops and there's no ever i rarely see i think a lot in that kind of popular it's always i think that comfort and escapism that you can just use your words right someone gives a really really good speech and then all the bad people are like okay cool yeah that makes sense no they're 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 gonna they're gonna break your teeth with a baton after your very good speech unfortunately or like that that is what happens or the house is really see it doesn't end with it ends with getting rid of the the bosses who are assumed to be the bad guys not the system itself is never actually questioned to be the problem there's no radicalization moment of like we need to get rid of this it's just assumed that the problem is the people in charge Um, right like why is there a bureau of kidnapping magical children maybe maybe there shouldn't be this bureau maybe this entire government agency should not exist and then that begs the question of all right who put this in who's funding this you know etc exactly there's never that moment of kind of questioning. There's never the we must abolish ice moment. No one no one ever decides to abolish magic to abolish magical ice. I'm always saying this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moreover, magical ice must be destroyed. Exactly, exactly. And regular ice. Yeah, regular ice too. Fuck Even more ice. so. Uh which I think is like kind of a good segue into um why why do now it's my turn to leave the podcast. Why do people? Yeah, yeah, yeah my- this is a hijacking. Yeah, this is my city now. All right, everybody, we're going to be talking a lot about birds now. And that time I was wronged by eBird. I know what a cackling goose is, you assholes. No. Um, <laughs> I love that episode of the podcast, but it got really weird when I started talking about eBird. and Just, just a list of birds we dislike. 
Oh no, not that. It's the it's the burgers I dislike. If you're like book book and writing people are so annoying, I should find another community. Every other community, I have many hobbies. They're all like this. They're all just terrible. Yeah, you mentioned in the Discord that there's <laughs> some real bad plant influencers. I didn't know there were plant influencers, but that also that they could be bad. Like they oh, could be yeah. this plant influencer is a bitch. How is that possible? It's a plant. Oh, well, money. It, plants have so much money in that Instagram and just that clout. It, you'll turn anything. I visit, I did candles. There's weird candle groups. Again, the 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 bigness of it, it depends on the, the group and how much it is. But yeah, there's this, I said, birders, they have whole bunches of drama. It's just, oh, man, I've gotten into fights with birders. It's just, it's, it's like this everywhere. <laughs> trust me it just the, the focus is a little different so um that's why i'm i i just am a glutton for it i'm like the assassin that takes the poison and now they're immune to it one of the things we were we were interested in asking is why uh i'm doing my uh well, there's your problem voice. What is magical oppression? Why do people do it? So why do people do it? What's the appeal? One one very big reason, which we haven't addressed, and one big reason, especially in the stuff that's influencing a lot of contemporary writers, well, maybe not contemporary, but a lot of the influences on at least the previous generation of, of writers like Twilight Zone and Star Trek, the reason they did this was because of TV censorship. There were really, really strict rules about television and, and what kind of topics you could overtly deal with because the sponsors would get mad and withdraw and the TV show would lose money. So actually dealing overtly with racism in America would be too spicy for the network, but they'd let you do that with aliens. You could get away with it. You could get away with magical like werewolf oppression and shit like that. So a lot of it does come from that. A lot of it comes as a way to skirt censorship. And I'm, I cannot, I'm obviously not going to take any kind of umbrage with that because like, yeah, you do, you do what you got to do. And I think that's actually pretty cool and pretty clever to, to get stuff past the network censors by putting a silly costume on them. That That's cool, but I don't think that's necessary anymore. You can get this stuff published. Well, I... There's not going to be an overt censorship, but maybe the market might not favor it as much because you'll bum people out. Like maybe that's maybe a book about magical werewolf oppression will sell better than a book about a real world oppression that doesn't make the magical analogy quite so quite like that because that book might bum people out and the werewolf book might be more fun. I don't know. Yeah, I think that really shows, I think, uh, again, something that you've been talking about and your guests have been talking about, this kind of screenplay TV. We're making a new thing. Uh, Sweet Core's its sequel is the TV vacation, TV core, I guess, or movie core <laughs> of, of writing, uh, especially it's speculative fiction. You oh, don't yeah. see this as much as that. I, I live the secret double life of like a, a, a garbage dragon writer and then also i write poems and like weird hybrid lyrical stuff i can't write weird hybrid lyrical stuff in the voice of a tv or if i do it's a very pointed authorial thing but yeah i think that influence again and i don't think people even realize it's happening to them they just look at tv and they're like well so many of them like reference star trek as their influence and star wars and yeah the the twilight zone and stuff like that so i think that's a good thing again that kind of the the, the underlying tv vacation that I don't think even people realize they're doing. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that censorship angle. So got me yeah, like about 1960s TV, you you couldn't have an interracial kiss or stuff like that. You could not deal with this. So of, of course, that's why Star Trek is going to use silly aliens to deal yeah. with racial analogies because they couldn't do it straightforwardly. Yeah, or comics. Comics had the same problem. The haze cosals affect comics. So that's probably also why... X-Men right. there's the, the comics do. decency code or something mm -hmm. like that it's yeah called. so that's probably why x-men who's another i think one of the when you talk about the subject x-men is the classic thing they go to i think that might be one way it looks why it looks the way it does it's because they weren't allowed to talk about it so yeah i i am always of the mind that if you want your queer representation or your all this representation you you just have to go off the beaten path a little bit and i don't think you even have to go far off the beaten path you literally have to just take a couple steps off the trail. To make a terrible metaphor as someone did fisheries in wildlife, 
you would go off the trail, and if you were to try to pee, someone would see you. That's how, that's, it's, so it's inappropriate. You're not even going that far off the beaten trail to find queer content or things that mm-hmm. are just not mainstream. It is not hard. You just have to do some looking, do, be thoughtful, ask ask questions, find to get in that community. And some of it even comes from big names. One of the examples oh, yeah. I think I was, I know we've talked about, and we love, we love, we love Gretchen. If she's not here, we're always talking about her. I was thinking yeah. of why Manhunt is such a good example, I think is playing with these ideas but is so much better like i say the gender genocide book as i think a, a, mm-hmm. a good example of kind of what's going on here is that if i'm going to recommend things that you could do to make it better is don't again that i think you had in your notes to that one-to-one metaphor gretchen's book is so good because yeah. she isn't just like okay, this is a metaphor for a, an oppressed gender thing or something but we're not going to mention it the i think these things um the speculative elements should be used to heighten or kind of look at these things from different angles. So manhunt, it doesn't, the, this disease that makes people, people with too much testosterone to monsters. That's not the focus. It's not the metaphor. It's not like this is a metaphor for trans women and stuff like that. This is a metaphor for toxic masculinity, whatever. So now I'm going to go to Gretchen and be like, Hey, so I've got a, <laughs> I've got a terrible version of your book. Think about it. It's the the oppressed people are there that the circumstance is used to heighten it. Or I believe Sean did a great video, Sean, the YouTuber, on when Terry Pratchett was kind of, people tried to usurp Terry Pratchett's legacy of to be a turf and how I, I, again, I've not read a ton of his books, so uh, please forgive me. But I believe in his book series, there is a dwarves don't have women and so one character a dwarf character actually starts identifying living as a woman and because i'm a woman and so those speculative elements it heightens it it makes it so yeah i think that really changes it like what if we've made this idea so absurd of what if there was a society that had no women and really kind of and it plays with earlier tropes too of tolkien and so i think that's when these can be useful is that you don't just you ignore what's happening in the real world you use it as a way to examine and which again, I think letting the the looking at authors that are doing it and doing it off like kind of that again that beaten path that really market marketable easy thing you'll find a lot of that like I said uh, Manhunt by Gretchen does it so I think it's good yeah yeah like I, I these metaphors to me they don't work as well when they're easy when it's this simple one to one metaphor or one-to-one allegory that makes you feel very good about yourself. And you're watching it going, well, I would totally support the Navi of, of Pandora, <laughs> or I would, you know, I would totally support the, these, the, the robots. I would be team robot. Well, you wouldn't, you know, it, it kind of makes you feel good about yourself, but without ha- having to make you face your own real life complicity. But, but it does, I think work a lot better when you're, as you said, using it as a jump off point to explore more complex ideas and more complex questions. So we've got, we've got Gretchen's story. Sorry. Oh yeah. I was going to say, I've heard while well, we were talking discord, I have not read this, but I've heard many good things about um, the Baru Cormorant uh, books. I've heard amazing things about that book that it, yeah, I haven't read it either, but a ton of our people in, in our discord absolutely love it and say it's a really sharp examination of how colonialism poisons your brain and what actually happens when you try to sort of fix the system from within and how it just kills your soul very slowly is, is my impression of the book yeah it sounds like it sounds a, really good yeah it does the thing i really love is um i'm always and the I, protagonist is a lesbian she's not a metaphor for a lesbian she is no. a lesbian no, it very much like when I've been re- what I've gathered from it, and when I've been reading this, it, it, it clearly is American. It's a mer- metaphor for American colonialism, and it reads a lot. Again, I I can't say for sure. This is just kind of my interpretation. I'm coming to it is a lot of it reads as like the colonization of Polynesia. I worked in Hawaii, and so a lot of what I was reading was is very similar to what. Um, I kind of learned when I was over there again, it, but a colonialism kind of looks similar everywhere. So I won't say this is exactly a metaphor for it, but um, it, a lot of the stuff reigns true to that. And I also love the, what it does is what I always teach my students. I've taught creative writing, the idea of writing past the natural ending. It's maybe mm. going, but I just like the fact that it's like, okay, so we've, we've kicked out our co- colonizing power, or at least it's physical presence here, which I think is the reality for a lot of the world. Colonialism isn't dead, but there's not necessarily the British, guards in their weird hats standing in front of a palace necessarily it's it, it's subtler 
just as evil. But looking at that, I think is can be really applicable and interesting. Um, I don't know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, using it, I'm also thinking of other maybe not person, maybe not magical race as oppressed person directly, but very obvious political symbolism. I think in Ursula Le Guin's work, I'm thinking of the lathe of heaven. Like it's obviously a critique of authoritarianism and central planning. And to me, I'm, I definitely read it as a critique of the Soviet Union of this idea of, oh, I'm going to use the government and central planning and rigid control to fix everything by reshaping society the way I want it. But it's not this one-to-one, like, the lathe represents Joseph Stalin specifically. <laughs> it's hit, although, I mean, obviously, 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 that's there. She was, she was very much an anarchist and had some, uh, had, had some <laughs> criticisms of the USSR. Um, and, and our, and our tanky talk. listeners all gonna are going to yell at us tankies. again. Our, our one tanky listener. I don't know if we have any tankies <laughs> listening to this. But it is a jumping off point about to explore sort of larger philosophical ideas. And, and it's not one-to-one because it's like, well, what do the fucking turtles represent? <laughs> what are the what are the space turtles represent? I'm always, I'm always asking this. Uh, what are they? They just kind of show up with no explanation, and they're still there at the end of the book. I love that. Uh, Ursula Gwyn. They're just hanging just out. So they're just vibing. So good. I just God. There's she, she's goat, as the kids would say. Oh yeah, I was thinking too. We always say it. I sexually identify as an attack helicopter again. Yes. Heightening that thing that doesn't imagine a new oppression. It just takes it and it's like, what if we take it to this level? Like, yes, okay, now I sexually identify as an attack helicopter. Yeah, um, yeah. When it's used to reclaim old slurs and old stereotypes, something really, really interesting can happen. In this case, she's re- reclaiming that transphobic joke. I'm, I'm thinking this isn't this isn't fantasy, and this is perhaps a, a bit more of a serious uh, take, but. I'm almost thinking of Art Spiegelman's Mouse. Oh yeah. Where he, I mean, he he takes the the reality, which is that Nazi propaganda called Jewish people vermin like mice, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna draw us as mice and explore based on that. Yeah, I think it's again, it's it's not necessarily speculative, but I think it's doing that similar idea of um, adding some sort right. of like fantastical. Right. I mean, it's not speculative at all. No. It's an incredibly bleakly real. No, I'm trying to like think of the word, that idea. It's got this, the imagery is fantastical. It's like, you know, now all the like chuds are mad about Pablo Picasso and like cubism and stuff like this idea of something that's not a one to like this complete realism, which right. I think is not necessarily like fantasy sci-fi, but I think kind of, they live in the same area again of like not it's quite less rigid thinking. Yeah, it's not a it's a non-reality depiction. And so those can be really thoughtful and and I think also make it a little bit more universal too. There are examples of people doing these things using speculative elements or otherwise non-reality elements that do really great and awesome things. So nobody take away get rid of this whole concept. You, you can only, never do this. I'm not gonna can, tell you never to do that. That would be ridiculous. Just become better writers, right? Good. Write it, yeah, write good, <laughs> write better. That's you gotta really write the, it good, that's, that's all you gotta do. Really the thing is that a lot of it just comes down to, dude, these writers do not have the chops and they are looking for comfort over everything else. You cannot do this and look for comfort. You need to, I'm not necessarily saying you have to be violent, but again, the way we got rights was very disruptive and very unpopular and it ruined people's lives and livelihood. You can't just talk it out. Even the, I'm always thinking of, there's, I don't remember the people names, but that famous scene from the Olympics where two black athletes, they held up their fists. The, the, the right. Fist, and there was an Aust- a white Australian, I think he placed like third or second. He was, and he just stood in solidarity and wore a pin with them. He basically said, that's what I'll do. And it destroyed his career. And it was just that oh, simple wow. act. And it's only now that I think people have kind of come around to be like, oh yeah, he actually did. I know people going back and forth about inter- adding politics into your work, but I'm always like, I'm political as a writer. I say, yeah, if you're gonna everyone punch, is in some way or another, yeah, consciously gonna, or not. If you're going to punch me in the face, then do it. Don't hold back and give me a little love tap on the cheek. Just do it. And you have to examine the uncomfort and what that really means. And so I think that's why House Cerulean Sea does not look at what the actual resistance of indigenous people looks like and what has been done to try to get justice. So that's, my, that's also my little thing is if you want to do the thing, then fucking do it just fucking nut up vagina up whatever ge- your genital is up <laughs> and just do it just do it but 
be mind no actionable threats and unsecured lines of course <laughs> right right do do not get us in trouble we are on enough watch lists as it is <laughs> dude i'm in florida man they're already like dude they, i just they've been talking again about how desantis wants us to do like a survey of our political beliefs i'm just gonna put big junk chungus is my political belief cool. big, big nice. chungus. <laughs> like, i'm a on. member of the whig party i'm the last remaining one <laughs> that's all yeah i'll bring that back oh my god Bring it back, man. Return to tradition. Yeah, what a country. What a, what a every day we wake up. It's terrible. And if you want to affect uh, change, you don't. You can't find it in fiction. I'm sorry. You have to go out and you have to go out and do stuff. Um, yeah, do like actual activism for real. Even if it's just a, a little thing every once in a while, go outside and do some activism. Volunteer at with mutual aid groups. Fuck, even go to a rally or something. I, I know I know they're just kind of symbolic, but at least it's like going outside and meeting people. Yeah, I, I did it. That was a big thing I did in 2020. And it was, it was just really, and sometimes it was just really good to be amongst people and have that solidarity. And it, it, nothing else, I think it's good. It can be good for your soul and kind of your community to see like, I see you. It's a, it's a little bit on yeah. the elevator of I see you, I hear you emails, you know, although yeah. it depends on the protest. Every once in a while you get one that's a little bit like the one where the white people are renouncing their privilege. And I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not how that works. I renounce it. I'm going to keep it though. Yeah. I, I renounce it. I'm going to say I renounce it, but I am I renounce it so I have to get on an airplane and then I'm going to very much use it when I'm trying to go for TSA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words... If you're going to try and use this analogy, try and go go beyond just the initial idea and and keep asking yourself, okay, then what? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Then what? Then what? Okay, so so vampires are, are represent homosexuality. Then what? What are further consequences of this? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Just keep going and keep asking more and more questions, and it it opens things up. And I know there, that there's a fear. Many writers, contemporary writers, have a fear of being misunderstood. So they like to keep their allegories and their metaphors and their symbols very, 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 very tight and unambiguous because they're afraid that someone will give a bad faith reading and, and declare you're a bad person for it. But guess what? That person's going to try and do that anyway. Yes. And you shouldn't write in a way that's fearful. You should write in a way that's much more, more open and thoughtful. Yes. Be, be an Ursula Le Guin, okay? Be a fucking left hand of darkness. Do not be a goblin emperor. Yeah, because I think we both know which of those books is going to be remembered. Absolutely. You know, longer. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I was thinking that. Spoilers, I was a little nervous about coming on here, so I was rehearsing what I wanted to say. That was a point, but I forgot. I knew there was stuff. But yeah, this, I think all of us do, especially if you're someone that is marginalized and you want to do right by people. We could joke and do about the harm of this werewolf book or whatever but i think if you care you you, you do worry you don't want to hurt people yeah. so um i think part of it is just again just making your real life reflect the goals you want in your writing it should you should be around you should be just around like the people listening to, that's why what's it, the men book or whatever you could clearly tell that those authors in that group just weren't really around trans women they were kind of surprised by the critiques and skepticism around gender genocide books well if you were around these people and talking to these people this wouldn't be a surprise just yeah that will help a lot yeah, like and damn had, hadn't she and it kills me too because that whole premise was already done by like 10 years previously with why the last man oh it's been done and it got a lot of it's been done a ton and it's gotten yeah. a lot of thoughtful critiques it's like well if you're gonna do this thing that's and done maybe read some of the critiques and yeah it's understand not... like where the weakness is and and try and fix it i think gretchen said that one of the reasons why she wanted to read write manhunt was that she really liked the screw fly solution but it was like a very cishet mm. sort of gender war story and she wanted to write her own take on it for a, a very queer and very like trans existence yeah and that whips very smart review it whips put that on the gretchen put that on the title put that on the front yeah, put that on the book put that yeah, on the ashley says it whips who's ashley i don't know but she said it whips yeah and again and stuff like this real house is really see i i grew up around indigenous people i live really close to different tribes and stuff like that michigan is definitely has a, a pretty strong indigenous presence i would say in america most places do you just have to look and so the way sometimes people talk about it i'm always like 
you know, these are like real people. They're still alive. They're in front of you at line at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact that you didn't know, like, well, at least in your interview, you presented, like I discovered a state in 2018. As a thoughtful person that cares about marginalization, do a little work is you can't solve. You Also, you got to take the time to do it, I think, and really care and really do it. And I think if you do that, it's the same thing that I do with writing. You can't just like, there's no, there's no trick. There's no trope that's going to suddenly make you the best writer you really have to be thoughtful and take your time and learn. And so I'd say, yeah, again, if you're a good faith person and you're trying and you're listening, you'll be, you'll be okay. I think the fact that you ask those questions is a good sign. Follow that. Um, yeah. And don't worry about the market and just take, take the good faith feedback. There's like you said, there's always going to be bad, mm-hmm. bad faith actors on both it's sides. going to happen. That's the yep. thing, too, is that it always attracts, you know, as annoying as the call-out stuff is from the left, then it always attracts the right-wing chuds, and it's just oh, like... Oh, yeah, the uh, crazy chuds who I know. scream that you're a pedophile because you had a an adult gay character hold hands with another adult gay character. Yeah, so I get it. You just gotta trust your gut. Do the Just do it. Right good. Yeah, right. Good. That is the <laughs> message of this episode. So uh, we are winding down because it's been over an hour. Yes. Final, final thoughts, final questions, comments, or is there anything you want? Yeah, I think we'll, I guess for promoting, I haven't had much writing out recently. I had a piece in, uh, <laughs> I've committed poem crimes. Uh, I've lived the greatest poet dream of writing a poem that made a lot of people mad. Quietly. Hell yeah. Don't put in the newspaper. I was mad. So that's in Blood Knife. It is gray. Inspired by the wonderful Photoshop that um, J- other guest uh, JR did um, about yeah. the, the Raytheon stuff. That's the most recent thing. And I'm going to hopefully be writing some more stuff. I think I'm going to try to do with my friend a review of House in the Sterling Sea. So a little bit more in depth on that. But also, I guess if we're just plugging stuff, if you live in America, it's rough. Find your read your book, whatever, but also find your abortion network provider, especially help out people in the South. Yeah. I live in the South. It's it's pretty rough right here. There's a lot of good people. Don't be those assholes that are like, well, you live in Texas. It's your fault. Like a lot of good people live in Texas. Find your, yeah, find your mutual aid groups. It's going to be, it's going to be getting gnarly. So um, that's my plug. Trans rights, support all those people. Yeah. Yeah. Trans rights, always. 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 All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show and and taking the bullet of reading <laughs> House in the Cerulean Sea for me. And thank you all for listening. That's all for this episode. If you like what you heard, head to patreon.com slash write good and subscribe. Until next time, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by OK Glass. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittystasis.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittystasis.com. you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. This has been a Kitty Steezes production. KittySneezes.com in color. <laughs>